heaven, thank you for your goodness to your people. God, I thank you that in Christ we too have been raised to life. God, that you are a good and gracious father to your children, that you have come to rescue your people. And God, I thank you that you have written your scriptures uh, inspired uh, by your spirit. And God, that by your spirit you would give us understanding in our minds and in our hearts to receive the good news of Christ. Uh, So God, this morning I pray that you would indeed give us understanding, that you would uh, soften hardened hearts, that you would open deafened ears, that you would open blind eyes to see. God, that you would shape us by your word to be more like your son Jesus for your glory and our joy, and that the good news may go forth to the nations. We thank you in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus gives us a new and living faith, and this faith is active. By faith, we live in a new way, and through faith, we have a new influence in our way of living. And this is good news for us. Have you ever witnessed someone who is convinced that something was true, and because of that, it prompted great action and actually led to influence? I mean, it could be somebody in real life that you know, or maybe you see it in a story or a movie. My life, my brain always... If I'm not thinking about the Bible, I tend to like go back to 80s movies. I just default mode of the human brain of Jeremy, right? And so I always think about Back to the Future, right? And one of the few movies that can be a trilogy and still be good, in my opinion. And in the original first Back to the Future, you know, a guy, Dr. Emmett Brown, is convinced that time travel is possible. So he goes and do what you do. You get a DeLorean and you go get some plutonium from the Libyans. Uh, that what you do, and then uh, you uh, put together a flux capacitor, and then you go to a mall parking lot so that you can time travel, right? And if you're familiar with the movie, which you should be, and if you're not, you should go rent it immediately, or just go buy it. It's at Walmart for like six bucks. Just go buy it. And if you're familiar with the movie, Doc Brown's vision of what he thinks can be true prompts him to do just unbelievable things, you know, putting together this car and a flux capacitor and, you know, have some nuclear stuff going on there. And it actually has influence on a young man named Marty McFly, right? And Marty is sucked into this idea of time travel, ends up traveling back in time, seeing that these small decisions can have a huge impact to totally change the future. Now, this is fiction, 
So let's get back to the Bible, right? If you see that you believe something to be true, it will prompt action, great action. You'll go through great lengths to do something if you believe something will be true, and it actually will influence others. And we see this today if you look around, if you know something to be true. In reality, we see that great social movements begin because one or two people or a handful of people believe something to be true, and they act on it, and their actions lead to great influence with other people. Therefore, a handful of people can lead to uh, thousands and thousands of people being a part of a movement. Right? And this is what Christianity really is. It was Jesus and a handful of his people believing God to be true with his word and now influencing a whole world a couple thousand years later. If you know missionaries or you know uh, people who will do great things overseas because they are convinced uh, that God is speaking and telling them to do something. You see, even this summer, this July, a friend of ours, a member here who's been in overseas missions for over five years now, will be coming here to preach God's word and share with us what's going on in the Middle East. Right? He, he is convinced that God has called him to do something, to share this good news, and his action has, has been drastic and very influential for the gospel. And so we look at Scripture and we see that faith is powerful. Faith is influential. Faith will help you persevere uh, through hardship, hardship and live in a way that honors God faithfully through righteous living. Now, just to recap, over the past few weeks, we've looked at Hebrews 11. It's a very long chapter, and we've seen that faith is ongoing relational trust in a person. Ongoing relational trust in the promises of God to be fulfilled. We see that faith uh, is something that you do in response to who God is and what he's done. Right, And we look at Hebrews 11 and we see this a great list of what we know as is, is, is famous characters from the Bible who have done amazing things. And if you read Hebrews 11, you see time and time again it says, by faith they did this, by faith, by faith, by faith. We see that by faith is when action is prompted. People change what they do because of faith. But we get to chapter, verse 32 today. And we see a phrase, through faith, or in verse 33, through faith, right? And then again in verse 39, through their faith. So, so what happens when we shift doing something by faith to doing something through faith? Is there a difference? And if so, what is it? And how are they related? You see, doing something by faith leads us to action, but doing something through faith shows that faith is powerful and influential. And this is important for gospel-centered living. So I want us to look at a couple things, and I want us to remind each other that faith, the strength of faith is not in how much you do or how much you believe, but rather the power of faith is in who you are believing in, who you are trusting. Right. So you can come in today as a seeker or a doubter or a skeptic and say, look, I want to believe Jesus, but I'm not so sure. I'm glad you were here. You don't have to be an expert faither. You don't have to be an expert religious spiritual person. You can come in today with your doubts, your skepticism, your cynicism, and just come in and say, I don't know if I believe this. I just want you to know Jesus, because if you have even a drop of faith in Christ, is powerful and influential. And that's more important than having very strong faith in anything or anyone else other than Christ. Right? 
Right. So I want us to look at a couple things. First, this. So, so building off of where we've been in Hebrews 11 for the past couple weeks, we see that first and foremost that faith has power and influence. Right. The first couple uh, verses of today, verse 32. What more shall I say? I love that the author has just like listed. He's like, I'm quoting the entire Old Testament. What else can I say? Right. What else? What more shall I say? For time would fail me. Like, there's not even enough time to talk about what all God has done through his people throughout generations. But he said, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Here in those verses we see that that living by faith leads you to do things through faith. Right? You can't just say, I'm living by faith and not act on it. If you live by faith, you are going to do things through faith. And we see that the things that are done are powerful and influential. What I mean by that is this. Faith has power because it is changing who you are on the inside. Right? You see here that the scripture tells us through faith they did all of these great things, right? But it says through faith they were made strong out of weakness. Now, I want us to look at this first because I think, you know, the writer, we can get lost in, in Hebrews 11 with all these names and all these things that they did. But we must pause and realize the importance that when you live life through faith, you were changed. Something happens to you. Faith is not just a one-time confessing of something you believe. It's not a one-time action of, well, I prayed a prayer and got baptized when I was eight. And that's my story. But by faith, you live differently. And through faith, things happen to you. Right? So by faith, maybe you prayed a prayer when you were eight. By faith, you maybe did the action of being baptized or something like that, which is great. We affirm that. It's biblical. Jesus said to do it, so let's do it. But through faith, your life looks differently and you are changed as you grow in your faith. We see here in these verses, in verse 33, that through faith, uh, they, uh, people obtained promises. Right? Through faith, they were made strong out of weakness. Through faith, they became mighty. So it's important to see that living life through faith will shape you, will change you to obtain the promises of, of, of God, that you will have access to what he has promised, that through faith you will grow in strength and might. But why? Isn't that narcissistic, right, to think that faith is all about you? Faith is all about just me and my relationship with, with God, my one-on-one relationship with God? See, that's important. But there's so much more to the story because in this passage we see that, yeah, yeah, through faith they obtained the promises of God. They grew in, in strength. They grew. They became mighty. But out of that came great influence because God builds you up in your faith not only for your own good. He does. He does things for your good, for your joy, but also for great gospel influence. Because we see what happened because through faith uh, these folks were built up in strength, because they were built up in might, because they obtained the promises of God, became mighty, were made strong out of weakness. Because of that, what did they do? We see they 
conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They stopped the mouths of lions. Has that ever happened to you? Right? They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They put foreign armies to flight. What I want us to see is these are not... I mean, there's a, there's a reason the author put this toward the end of the book of Hebrews. As we see, he's going to be wrapping up here, kind of tying it all together and saying, this is, I'm telling you, ten chapters of amazing things about Christ, how he's better, how you should put your faith in him. And oh, by the way, here's just a couple of examples in chapter 11. And then as we get to 12 and 13 toward the end, we see that there's a reason why the author drops this bomb in there. It's because these are not just some cool stories from long ago. There's some things here that we take away. I mean, there are some, some normative truths of the gospel that are to prompt how we live. And so you may not be conquering kingdoms or putting foreign armies to flight. You may not be closing the mouths of lions or quenching fire. But the point is this, is the same Christ who instills faith in people to do those things is the same Christ who has saved you. That same faith that can move mountains, Jesus says, that same faith that can put armies to flight and to conquer kingdoms is the same faith that will grow in you in Christ. And that's important. If we detach ourselves from the promises of God and Scripture and think that Christianity is just this little new thing over here that you compartmentalize and you put in your pocket, maybe you tweet about it, whatever. If you just compartmentalize your faith as that, you miss out on what true gospel faith is. I mean, the gospel faith is the God of the universe who created everything, makes promises to his people. He is faithful in those promises. His son Jesus came to live a perfect life of faith, to die as a sacrifice, came back from the dead to prove who he was and what he said is true. And by his Holy Spirit, we are saved, we are changed, we are marked as people belonging to God in Christ, in God who moves mountains, and by faith whose people conquer armies and and escapes the flame and the sword and moves mountains is the same God who is instilling faith in you. That's powerful. That's cosmically mind-blowing. So what does this have to do for me and you today? Because we forget because we're not being oppressed by foreign armies here. We are not being... uh, tortured for our faith in Augusta. And so it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to forget uh, the pressures and hardships of the faith. And by God's grace, may our eyes be open and our vision be expanded to what is really going on. So I want to ask you this. If we see that faith has power and influence, in what ways Has God empowered your faith? And what what ways is he empowering your faith? And what opportunities has Christ given you for gospel influence in the faith? I'm like, where has he placed you? He placed some people in a lion's den. He placed some people on the battlefront. He placed some people uh, in prison to be tortured for their faith. Where has he placed you? Because he has placed you somewhere. God has not just given you faith to make you strong and to have you obtain promises and so that you become mighty. 
just for the sake of that. He does that also for a purpose. And he's placed you somewhere so your faith will have influence for his glory, for your joy, and that the gospel, the good news of Jesus would advance. So where has he placed you? Every single person in this room, you, when you leave this room, you go somewhere. So where is that? What family has he placed you in? What neighborhood do you live in? What job do you go to to make money? What school do you attend? What uh, hobbies do you have? Do you, do you coach Little League? That's, that's amazing. Do you, do you have a hobby with other human beings for gospel influence? So I want us to think about that because we see that the same God who gives faith and that same faith that has people conquering armies and kingdoms is the same God who gives that same faith to you for a purpose. And we mustn't miss out on that. Otherwise, we disengage from a life of ongoing faith and we just kind of check out and have our little box of ideas. And I want some flux capacitors going on is what I'm trying to get at here. It's faith in action, faith that happens and changes stuff. All right, moving on. Secondly, we see this, is that true faith will persevere through hardship. Because we know that the first century church who would be reading this original letter, the, the author originally would have written in the first century and given it to the early Christian church who would face much hardship, much persecution. Man, people getting set on fire, crucified upside down, sawed in half, the Bible says. Persecution even continues today. And we see here... In verse 35 and 37, just those examples, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. This continues today in many parts of the world where Christians are facing churches being bombed in the middle of a worship service, houses being raided, children being taken, people being executed for their faith, imprisoned for their faith, pastors who are planting churches in places like Iran, being imprisoned and facing the death penalty because they are quote-unquote apostate from the Islamic faith and causing others to do the same. This stuff is going on right now. And we often forget. In the same way, that faith that can send foreign armies on the run is the same faith that will cause a, a Christian to endure when they are facing the flames or the sword, or the hangman's noose. And that same faith in Christ, in us, will cause us to endure hardship. And when I reflect on this, man, I feel like such a just wuss. <laughs> when I think, wow, you know, I maybe had a discouraging day or a discouraging meeting 
And you may be like this too. You may be like, man, I'm having a hard time in some relationships or my job's not what I thought it would be. Or, or maybe school is really hard. I'm not doing as well as I thought. I didn't get the scholarship. Maybe money's tight. Maybe there's just friction all over your life and you're, you're sitting there doubting, saying, all right, God, where are you? Meanwhile, on the other side of the earth, people are on fire and getting their heads chopped off. Kind of puts it in perspective for me. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. So I tried to open with an 80s movie thing that nobody really cared about. So let's just keep on. We're serious here. Flux capacitor is not in the Bible. All right, fine, forget it. People's getting sawn in half. Let's just stick with that. It's more entertaining, right? So the hardship that you face may look different from that. A time may come where we face that, but it may not. You know what? You may not face this hardship. That doesn't make you less than a Christian. If you have walked into this room today and somebody makes you feel guilty because you drive a nice car or because you live in a nice neighborhood, just tell them to read their Bible. (laughs) Because some of you may not face this kind of persecution. That's not the point of this passage. The point of the passage is the God who saves people in these situations. The focus of the passage is not the situations. You with me? Because if we say the only way to be a Christian is to go get your head chopped off, well, if your faith is not really in Christ, if your head is in, if, if, uh, if, your faith, if your faith is in the hurt that you will face, that's really not gospel faith. Right? I mean, the faith of all of these people is in the God who will save them, is in the Christ who has rescued them, is in the Holy Spirit who is building them up and regenerating them. The power of their faith is not in their action or their circumstances. The power is in the Christ who gives them that faith. I'm going to hammer that home and scream until my lungs fall out today. Because if we walk out of the room thinking anything other than that, then all is lost. The point of this passage is that faith is powerful internally for you and also for gospel influence. And the the point of this is that faith in Christ will have you persevere through hardship. Your hardship may look like this one day. It may not. Your hardship may involve cancer. Your hardship may involve divorce. Your hardship may, God forbid, be the loss of a child or a spouse. That may be your hardship. That may be your cross to bear. And that may be the circumstances in which that same God will show you great love and grace. And that that same Christ will instill in you great faith to endure. And also in those circumstances, use your faith for great influence. Are you with me? It's kind of a downer. Or is it just hot in here? So friends, what I'm getting at, I want us to think about a time you're experiencing great hardship. I want you you to think about it because where we go awry is when we face hardship, where do you run for comfort or strength? Because if you run to somewhere other than Christ, you are, um, like me, would be an idolater. Right. If you face hardship and you say, if I just, you know, this is hard. If I just had more money, things would be better. If I just had a different job or if I just had a different mate or if my kids were different or whatever was different in those moments of hardship. If I just had better health, if I had better health insurance, if I just had health insurance, if whatever. 
if you take your eyes off Christ in those circumstances, it doesn't matter how strong your faith is or how spiritual your spirituality is. If your faith is not in Christ in those moments, there's no gospel in your life. And that is the point of these couple of verses. And you'll, if you stay with me in the next couple of weeks, we're going to keep connecting those dots. It's really hard because the first readers of this would have, this would have been one sermon, like 13 chapters of the Bible, just that would have been a sermon. But, you know, we have stuff to do today, right? So I can't read all 13 chapters to you. So thirdly, I want us to see this, and this is important as well. Hopefully I can connect these dots for you. We see that faith has power, faith has influence, faith perseveres through hardship, but faith also lives to righteous living. And this is a very, very important point. I don't want to say the cart before the horse here, because it's very important. Faith leads to righteous living. We look in verse 38, the writer talks about the the people of faith, that the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now, I was studying this passage this week thinking, why does chapter 11 kind of end this way? And we get into chapter 12, the famous surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, right? But if you look back at the beginning of chapter 11, in verse 7, um, I mean, actually chapter 11 just starts like, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then he just launches into the by faith, by faith, by faith. And down in verse 7, this jumps out at me every time. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so this week I was thinking, okay, so Noah, in reverent fear, in worship before God, acted by faith to build this ark, obeying God. And Scripture says that, he says that this, uh, he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Righteousness that comes by faith. And then all this list of other people for verses and verses who did things by faith, by faith, by faith. Oh yeah, and they did things through faith and power and an influence and that their lives looked different. And this week I was wrestling trying to think, what what does this mean? Like, So we have to do faith in order to be righteous? Is that what that's saying? Because I thought I was declared righteous by the work of Christ. Here's what I discovered this week, and I want to pass this on to you because I think it's so important with how we will live our lives as Christian people. Even as seekers and doubters and skeptics and non-Christians, you need to hear this. Righteousness in the Bible can refer to a couple of different things. It's a very broad and very beautiful, important word and concept. Righteousness can refer, can refer to our standing before God. 
Like when you walk into God's presence, He is holy and beautiful and sinless. And we can either walk in as condemned, dirty people, or we can walk in as righteous people. And see, the good news is that because Jesus lived a perfect life, died a death as our substitute, as a sacrifice, and He was buried and came back to life, because of that, we are declared righteous. Like, Jesus is the one and only righteous entity on earth who gives us, declaring us righteous before God. Now, this is important for us to understand because if you think, and that's one way righteousness can be used in the Bible. It's very good. It's like you were, you were declared righteous in Christ. Christ is, Christ is righteous. Jesus declares you as righteous. Therefore, we come before God not in our own righteousness, not in our self-righteousness or our fake righteousness or our attempts to be righteous, but rather we can come before God, the Father, saying Christ is righteous because of his life and his work. I'm declared righteous too because he did it on my behalf. That's one way righteousness is used. Now I want you to stick with me because this is so important. Another way righteousness is used in the Bible is meaning a right way of living. Like it's right action. It's rightness with God. It's rightness with each other. You, you are doing things righteously. It's, you're doing things right. right. Now here's what's important for us to see. We have to understand the first use of righteousness in order to rightly do the second use of righteousness. Are you with me? If you forget that in Christ you were declared righteous and you just skip to, I have to live right, have to live right with God, have to live right with others, your life will be riddled with fear and failure or pride or despair because you've only seen one side of the coin. But how we understand the gospel is that because we are declared righteous in Christ, we therefore have humble confidence to live righteously. Are you with me? Is that making sense? I'm praying that this makes sense because I don't want us walking out of here saying, well, faith means I have to do all things right. Faith means I have to work hard for God to accept me. Faith means I have to work hard so others will approve of me. And when I do it right, well, look at me. I am worthy. Or I failed again, all is lost. I'm such a failure. I can't be right. I can't do it right. And then you were riddled with guilt and shame and despair. And neither one of those things are in the gospel. Pride is not in the gospel. Fear, guilt, and shame is not of the gospel. It's important that we see because... I mean, that's why this chapter 11 comes after all of these chapters about Jesus. Right? I mean, the author has said Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for all. Jesus is the perfect great high priest. Jesus is the perfect man, our true king, our true God. Jesus has done all of this for God's glory and for your benefit. And because Jesus is righteous, he declares you righteous. Now look at chapter 11. By faith, by faith, by faith, through faith, righteous living. Are you with me? If you read Faith and righteous living is a little segment, and you forget all of these other chapters about Jesus. Chapter chapter 11 is really about Jesus. 
It really is. There's name dropping all kind of names, you know, Barak, Jephthah, all these people. You're like, it's still about Jesus. It's about the faith they had in Jesus Christ and that by faith, through faith, amazing things happen. And I want us to know this because I get, I get, you know, I get really sad when folks forget that. <laughs> when they jump straight to the, I want to do right. I'm so glad you want to do right. The only way you can do righteous living is if you are in Christ because he has declared you righteous. Period. Period. If you try to do righteous things apart from Christ, you will fail. You will do them imperfectly. And even if you do them pretty good, you'll become prideful and you'll point others to you and your way rather than Christ and his way. Right? Am I being hard on you guys? This is stuff that I'm learning in my life. Because I want to live a righteous life. But I'm understanding the only way anybody in chapter 11 lives a righteous life is because they trust a righteous God who rescued them. That's what I want you to know. Just take that. Write that one statement down. And you can check out now if you want, but I'm going to keep going. We cannot confuse the order to obey Christ in order to be righteous. But we have to see first, we are declared righteous, therefore we obey. Faith in Christ results in faithful living. Faithful living cannot happen without faith in Christ. You can try to live faithful to God's law, but you will fail. You read the Old Testament. That's the whole theme of the Old Testament. Just so you know, I've been studying Deuteronomy a ton because we're going to go there in September. By God's grace, we are going to be in Deuteronomy. I can't wait. And the more I read it, I, was th- I mean, I seriously thought this is going to be a list of laws and look how people failed, failed, failed. The whole book is about how to live by faith in a faithful God who rescues his people. It's the whole theme of the book. It's fantastic. It's not, don't break these ten commandments. It's, hey, I've rescued you. Live this way. And when they fail, what does God do? He rescues them again and again and again. It's such a good book. I can't wait to get to Deuteronomy in September. But for now, we are here. Chapter 11 shows us people who are trusting their God to save them, and the result is right living by faith. Right living is a result of trusting in Christ, and we mustn't ever forget that. Paul says this in Romans 6, 16-19. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of, whom, of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Paul, Romans, great book. You see there that Paul is saying the same thing that the writer of Hebrews said. Is that righteous living, faithful living, is a result of becoming a slave to a faithful God. Just take that. All of this displays God's faithfulness to us in Christ because Jesus is our true hero. And the good news is that 
Faith, ongoing relational trust in him, prompts action. And through faith, there is great power and great influence, not for our glory, but for Christ's glory. Not only for our joy, but for the joy of the nation, so that others will see God's goodness. Are you with me? I have a few things I want to say as a takeaway. Um, The Bible is broad, and it's deep, and it's complex, and it's interconnected. And I want us to never take one statement out of context, but see how it all connects together. So my hope and prayer, which I think was the whole purpose of Hebrews 11, the author was trying to connect the dots of the whole Bible. Because he talks about all these Old Testament guys. He's trying to weave it all to Christ and what that means for us moving forward. So... um, I just want to say that as, uh, as an aside, and I also want to challenge us to this. Um, we often talk about repentance and faith. Faith is belief. Faith is ongoing relational trust. Repentance means turning from something and turning to something else. All right, I want us to collectively, as believers, if you are a Christian, I want us to turn from self-righteousness and turn to the righteousness that is in Christ alone, both in our standing before God, but also our righteous living. It's important because we can say, I'm going to turn from sin and turn to righteous living. It's not good enough. That's not the gospel. If you say, I'm going to turn from bad things to this good thing, but there's no Jesus in my good thing, then your good thing's a bad thing, even if it's, quote-unquote, righteous living. You know, this is... That, that is God's call on my life. That is the one sermon I think I pray that God will have me preach. Because it's not, it's not good to turn from bad things to good things with no Jesus. It's just not. Moralism is stupid. You can quote me on that. Moralism with no Jesus is stupid. It's, it's foolish. It leads you nowhere. Moralism... Is not good, but moral living because of Jesus, with Jesus with you, helping you live moral, righteous, good, holy, smart, generous lives. That's beautiful. That displays God's goodness. And so, if you're, I'm going to start a whole other sermon. I got to stop. As a, if you are a Christian, I think one of our biggest challenges that I see in our cultural context as Christians is that. Because we say, well, we're not doing those bad things, but look how good we are. And we forget Jesus. And so if, if you're a Christian like me in the South, which you are right now, join me in repenting of sin and wickedness and also repenting of self-righteousness and righteousness Righteous living with no Jesus. We need to repent of that. Because you can have a cool Christian t-shirt and no Jesus. I don't know what I'm talking about. I want us to turn to a righteous Jesus who saves us. That's what I want us to do. And we need to do that constantly, friends, because we forget the gospel too. If you're here and you're not a Christian, what I want you to consider is Christ. If you come in here today with your doubt and your, and your skepticism and your cynicism, you could have come in here out of guilt. A lot of people come to church out of guilt. They say, man, I have to go to church because last night's party was so crazy. hadn't even been home yet to shower. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. I do not want to tell you to get your act together. I do not want to tell you to clean up and get straight and get it together. 
What I want to tell you is that because of Jesus, you are loved and accepted by God. And because you are loved and accepted by God in Christ, your life will look differently. And we want to help you do that. We want, to, we want to together as a community of believers, seekers, doubters, skeptics, everybody come together and we look to Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith, which change, changes who we are and how we live. Is that a fair deal? Awesome. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you that... You do amazing things for your glory and for the joy of your people. God, I thank you that we can read your Bible and see these amazing figures, these characters in the Bible stories that blew it and dropped the ball and were imperfect and did goofy things. But God, you used them not because of how well they did faith, but because of who the object of their faith is. And so God, I pray that you would shape us to have that kind of faith. That our faith would not be in our good works, that our faith would not be in our good ideas, that our faith would not be in our good traditions, although all of those things are great, and if they are good signs that point us to you, that's great. But if they distract us from you, Lord, I pray that you would wreck our hearts of the good things in order to give us the greatest thing, the gospel thing, and the good news of Jesus And so, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would open our minds to have a better understanding of your Word, all of it, not just the verses we looked at today. God, that you would bring recollection to our minds of all of the good teaching of Christ is in the Scriptures here, and that by your Holy Spirit you would uh, humble us all. God, that you would uh, have us repent of sin, but also repent of our self-sufficient goodness. Uh, And God, that you would humble us to embrace the gospel, God, as you are embracing us in Christ. God, I pray that you would wreck all of us here of whatever the barrier is to the gospel, God, whether it be pride, whether it be fear, God, if it's guilt or shame, if it's remorse from our actions of the past or shame from what we think about or what motivates us or... uh, whatever clumsy part of our lives that we don't like, God, I pray uh, that you would take those things away and give us the assurance of grace in Christ. God, I pray for those in the room who maybe are not believers. God, if they're here seeking and doubting. Uh, God, if they're here uh, just, just trying to explore, Lord, I pray that you would do miraculous things that you would rescue those who don't know you and and let them see your goodness. And God, for those who are believers, maybe who have been believers a long time or are new believers, still young in the faith, God, I pray that you would ignite in us a joy and a passion that comes only from the good news of Christ and that this would be the resounding theme of our lives. God, that we would have great joy in the power of faith that you've given us and also great influence wherever you've placed us. God, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, work and our families with our hobbies God whatever it is Lord I pray that you would give great gospel influence God I ask all of these things for your glory for our joy and that the good news of Christ would indeed advance from our city to the nations we ask in Christ's holy name Amen